Welcome to the Vol Bros. My name is Evan. This is my brother, Rustin, and we are two Vol Bros who are actually bros in real life. And man, oh man, uh, Twitter is a Twittering today, and uh, or Xing, I get, I don't know, that's weird. Um, but we, uh, my goodness, there's so much to talk about, and we're so excited because tonight is a night each month that Rustin and I always look forward to. Uh, we have the GOAT with us tonight, Mr. Reed Carringer. Reed, welcome. Good to see you boys again, as always. So excited to have you with us. And uh, it's kind of odd. We're going to be talking about the last ever SEC East game for Tennessee tonight, which is kind of bizarre to think about. Um, so let's let's dive right into it because we have a ton of stuff to talk about. We've already had some really good questions come through in the comments. Uh, so we'll get to those as well. But our first thing we always talk about, and Reed, we will start with you. Uh, what were your main takeaways from what you saw yesterday against Vanderbilt? Well, well gentlemen, I'm old enough to remember, uh, unfortunately, uh, Tennessee losing to Vandy um, on the regular. Uh, so <laughs> I guess the, the, the biggest takeaway for me is Tennessee trajectory up, Vanderbilt trajectory down. Uh, even if you remember last year, uh, somebody who I do respect and like, uh, Mr. Kirk Herbstreet, thought that perhaps Vanderbilt was going to beat Tennessee and after Tennessee lost to South Carolina and Penn and Hooker got hurt and the Vols dog walked him uh, in <laughs> Vanderbilt, uh, a.k.a. Neyland West. Um, and that was the same thing that happened again this year. So I just think that's, that's the biggest thing. Those are two programs heading in the absolute opposite directions. Uh, and that yesterday was a continuance of that. Uh, that's the biggest thing for me as I think about kind of an end of season game, end of the SEC East, and then as we look forward to bowl season, uh, except unless you're a Vanderbilt fan, uh, <laughs> and also 2024 and, and the new playoff structure and all that. So Tennessee up, Vandy down. Absolutely. Rustin, what was uh, your main takeaways from what you saw yesterday? I wanted to, I wanted so badly to be in the locker room post game and ask the coaching staff, why did we show so much now? Like where, where has some of this stuff been the entire season? I mean, we, we ran the, the double slant wheel route to McAllen castles. We ran a bunch of stuff for Jacob Warren in the middle of the field. Do you realize we almost had 300 yard receivers yesterday? I mean, rediscovered we, the tight end position, as you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we were 18 yards away from having 300 yard receivers in one game. Um, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't the normal stuff. We were, we were adding some wrinkles. We, we added a little bit formationally. Um, they, they did some play action stuff. They haven't done a whole lot of that was kind of interesting. I, I just sat there watching it going, why, why do we hold on to this stuff for so long? Um, and maybe it's injuries. Maybe we didn't feel comfortable with the guys that were out there and we're finally starting to get healthy. Um, but it was just, it was kind of odd to watch. It was, it was fun to watch. Um, you know, Joe, Joe would have had almost 500 yards receiving or uh, passing if they had caught half the balls they dropped. Um, <laughs> I mean, he was, he was putting it right on people. Poor Jacob Warren. My goodness. He had that one over the middle of the field should have been an easy touchdown hit him square in both hands and he just dropped yeah. it. Um, Ramel yeah. Keaton, my goodness, the one, the one to him. I mean, Joe could have easily have had close to 500 yards passing and six touchdown passes yesterday. 
Um, you know, I, I thought he played exceptionally well. Um, that banged up offensive line that was at one point we didn't have a single starter in there. Um, you know, I thought they did a yeoman's work and played really, really well. Um, considering, um, it was kind of fascinating watching Dane Davis do dances at right tackle as he taunts yeah. Andy players. Um, didn't, didn't have that, that on the card. <laughs> um, you know, wasn't expecting the, the six, six, 320 pounders to start breaking out some pelvic thrust. It was, it was something like, like he was going like this, and <laughs> But he was I don't know what he was doing. doing a lot of hip action into it. Like it, there was a whole <laughs> lot of hip action. Um, didn't expect to see that yesterday. I didn't either. Jeremiah T. Lander. Mm-hmm. I thought he had a coming out party. Good game. That that Joker was flying around. Um, and he started getting real confident and started coming with a hat. Um, he was there in the second half. He was he was getting after it. And one of the few people to me that jumped off the 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 tape in a good way on defense for Tennessee yesterday, for sure. Yeah. Thought Amari Thomas played really well also. Um, thought he did a lot of good things. He didn't get a whole lot of cre- uh, credit for some of the stuff he was doing, but I felt like he played really well too. Well, my initial thoughts, uh, immediate reaction to the game was Tennessee played the way Tennessee is supposed to play. And how many times over the last 10 to 15 years – uh, has that not been the case that Tennessee would play down to competition, that kind of thing? They didn't do that yesterday. Uh, they played the way they were supposed to play. And kudos to the coaching staff and the leadership on the team for making sure that happened. Uh, that was a wonderful thing to see. Super happy for Joe to have such an awesome game. Uh, he was on point that game. I mean, he, accuracy was fantastic. Uh, he was on point. Like Rustin said, there were a couple drops. Like, uh, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we got both McAllen Castles and Jacob Warren uh, touchdown catches. That was huge. Uh, like I said, Rustin said, Jacob could have had two. That one hit him right in the hands. But, um, you know, that, that's, that's been the common thing all year, uh, people dropping the ball. Um, I do think – so Bill Martin, the, communi- the comms guy, sports information director for ball football, he pulled out his ace card yesterday. So after the game – you know, every person read, if you were still on the media beat, you would have been salivating, man. Uh, because, uh, read, I'm sure there were always people that when you were on the beat that you loved seeing get behind that presser microphone. I'm sure there were some that you liked seeing more than others up there. Cause you knew it was about to be a great interview. Well, Bill pulled out his ACE card yesterday. He put Joe Milton, Jacob Warren, and McAllen Castles all on the same panel after the game. All right, Jacob Warren and McAllen Castles are the two best interviews on the whole team. I mean, they're phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And um, and you got a taste. We all got a taste of that yesterday after the game. So uh, that was that was pretty cool to see as well. That has nothing to do with the game, but you know, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, let's see here. One other yeah. game takeaway. I would love to know who in the Vandy offensive coaching staff thought just not blocking James Pierce was a good idea. Um, <laughs> because there was literally four or five plays in that game where they just didn't block him. They just ignored him. And it was like, who who thought this was the best decision to make? <laughs> he, almost, he almost looked a couple times, Pierce, like he 
didn't know what to do. Right. <laughs> it's like I'm not used to being. It's like the, the wide receiver that's so wide open they don't catch it. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's that situation for a defensive end. He was flying in there half speed looking for a sniper. He's like, there's got to be somebody. Somebody's, <laughs> yeah, somebody's going to take my legs out, hit me something. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, Zach, welcome, Zach. Good to have you with us, buddy. He asked a question that's going to lead us into our next one. And, I'm, and after this one, I'll go through and start reading through some of the comments. Uh, so, Zach picked Tyler Barron have a big day, and he did. And that's true, he did. Yeah. Uh, so, Reed, we will start with you. Who do you feel like was the player of the game for the volunteers yesterday? Well, I mean, you can't not go Joe, in my opinion. I mean, it's the easy, it's the easy answer. It's the layup. I've gone some some weird answers when we've been on here before. Um, but be almost 400 yards, could have had 500 yards, like Russin said. Um, just dominated the game and, and had didn't get a lot of help from his receivers, as you both alluded to. Which is, I mean, that's maybe a takeaway from the game as well. This is sort of a microcosm of the season, right? Amen. You had receivers not helping Joe. You had a couple, maybe two throws where Joe didn't help the receivers, but it was really, to me, more on the receiving core this year. Um, You had Tennessee beating the teams they were supposed to beat, which they did, as you mentioned, which has not always been a thing that you could take for granted in the past two decades, honestly. but yeah, it's got to be Joe. Some fantastic plays with his legs, some good pocket awareness, some some of his best throws of the season, um, hitting guys in stride, rediscovering the tight ends, just um, and really showing off something that I think was underrated about Joe this season was there were some there were some exceptions late in games when I felt like Tennessee was already beat or almost beat. Um, when the fat lady was almost singing, but largely when he made a read, it was the right read this year. And I I don't think that goes recognized enough. Was he slow to make reads sometimes? Yes. But when he made a read, usually it was the right read. He, and yesterday was the same way. Made a bunch of great reads, a bunch of great throws, made some with his legs. I thought it was obviously his best game. Um, And, and Tennessee kind of came out early, was playing with fire a little bit, didn't, sleepwalking a little bit he got him out of that um great great game to send him off in Neyland for a guy who has won 10 football games in the last two seasons absolutely fantastic point um I totally agree with you he uh, Joe is my player of the game as well Rustin how about you I'll take Joe also for all the same reasons Reed just said I did have an honorable mention though because I think this is important our leading tackler yesterday was walk on Will Brooks. I did see that. <laughs> and and if you watch it back uh, every week, like we we always seem to talk about him. If you watch it back, he is always where he's supposed to be. The guy, the guy may not be the best player on the field, but he does his assignment. He does it as hard as humanly possible. And he was great in coverage yesterday. He was great against the run. It's it's incredible. If that dude doesn't get a scholarship at the end of this season, somebody needs to walk in that office and make us some suggestions because he he has earned it. Well, that was certainly an excellent open field tackle. I mean, it was him and the running back. That was it on the whole side of the field. So if he doesn't make the tackle, that dude's running for a long time. And he, I mean, wrapped him up. It was beautiful. Um, some of the questions that are coming through, uh, Brant, welcome Brant. Good to have you with us. Brant asked a really good question about the 2024 season. 
So we're going to get to that here in a little bit because some of the stuff we're going to talk about here in a little bit, man, we got tons of stuff. To talk Are about. we though? <laughs> okay. um, I feel I feel like that's a bit of a, a stretch because there's just a well, tiny smidge of stuff that happened this weekend. Yeah, whenever whenever we're talking about like who didn't go through senior day, it's <laughs> naturally going to lead a little bit about next year. Uh, Brant did ask this though. He said, "How much do you think Joe's knee led to his inconsistency this year? What do y'all think?" I think that's a great question. Maybe one we won't know. I do think it, it was a bummer watching that game. You're, you saw him get his wheels going, and then I still don't understand how his knee was not completely shredded. Um, and he had the brace on the rest of the year, um, so it certainly affected him. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't nothing that happened to his knee structurally, um, and it's something that going into the year, I expected him to make more plays with his legs. Uh, I did. I, I think that was maybe something the staff was starting to key on. And then he got his knee hyperextended, rolled up on nobody's fault. And it just sort of derailed that a little bit. Um, and probably, you know, I've, I tore uh, my PCL on my knee a few years ago. It's just, it's in your head. It's just, it's always in your head. It, it, every time I take a step down, it's in my head. It's just subconsciously. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think it probably did play a role. Um, but you know, uh, who, who knows, who knows how big, but it wasn't nothing like, and it's not talked about very much. It's a great question, Fran. Yeah. yeah I, I, totally think, agree. I think, I think what Reed just said is very true. I think in the next couple of years or maybe even sooner, we'll finally hear the real story of what was going on with Joe all season. But I think what we're all going to find out is he's an incredibly tough individual who fought through something a lot of other people wouldn't have because he wanted his shot. Well, I think Reed, part of what Reed said there, absolutely hit the nail on the head. Like, how in the world did that not rip his knee up when that happened? I mean, watching it in in real time and then also on the replay, I mean, it's one of those things where you go, oh, like that when you see it, you know? Um, and and he hopped up. Like, after I thought that was, was crazy when he hopped up. We're like, whoa, okay. Um, I've never so seen I've, anyone get up from a hit like that in my both career covering football and life of watching football. <laughs> yeah, Period. absolutely. Uh, Brant said, I uh, love the show, bros. Hey, we appreciate that, man. Uh, Reed, here's the thing, man. I was thinking about this. This is your fourth appearance on the show. I, I think you're like actually one of our actual real life brothers now. <laughs> like, yeah, you, I, you, I need a, I need a, you, like, Thanksgiving invite must have gotten missed. I don't well, know what happened. That's what guys. I was about to say. I think like mail, you're like now. Like... I think you're now invited to our Christmas celebration. <laughs> you so, don't want any uh... of that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, Reed, Reed's in, Reed's coming for Christmas. That's that's <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, let's be see. Very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony, welcome, Tony. He said, "Hypel and Nico should give Brew a million apiece to come back next year." I'm really serious. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point, Tony. Uh, <laughs> I can't argue with you there, buddy. Uh, Zach said, oh, Zach. Okay, first of all, Zach wins the award for best YouTube profile photo. <laughs> that is Seinfeld's painting uh, the, from the episode where Kramer was made into a portrait, a painting. That is absolutely fantastic. And the, and the paint critics were sitting there looking at him going, He's a loathsome brute. Uh, so, I mean, that is that is fantastic work right there, Zach. Uh, 
he said uh, he thinks Bruce come back no matter what. Well, maybe not based on what we saw yesterday. Um, so we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Tony said, glad we finally threw to the tight end a little too late. I, I understand that. Absolutely. Uh, Zach said, what's up, Reed, Evan, and Rustin? It's good to have you with us, Zach. Uh, Tony. Okay, so we're, we're going to not talk about the Iron Bowl tonight, but that is a good point. They did not rush a lot of folks on that last play. What was um, weirder was they didn't rush two, or they only rushed two, so that means nine were in coverage. How did that guy get one-on-one in the corner of the end zone? Where were the other eight guys? <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. How, how's that even possible? I know that Saban is a great coach, but gosh, like he is the benefit of a lot of stupidity <laughs> in yeah. a lot of games. And that yeah. I, I was watching that play in real time thinking, oh no, what are you doing? What are you doing? They ran a quarterback <laughs> spy on fourth and goal from the 31. I'm, I don't know what they were doing. Just in case, just in I, case I Googled their defensive down. coordinator's name who I've already forgotten, but I'm sure he's uh, headed for unemployment. <laughs> uh, let's see. Zach said the biggest thing he took away from the game was just like Reed said, Tennessee shows who is the big brother. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Zach, oh, Zach making the jokes here. I like it. He said, what does Vandy and Florida have in common? They both hate bowling. <laughs> and South Carolina as well. Yep. Enjoy absolutely. your bowl game. Ooh, Brent, good question. Brent said, why were no Vandy players ejected for literally coming across the field? It's not just that they left their sideline. They literally came across the field to the opposite sideline. Why was no one ejected? Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> not Reed, Reed, you some give... Vandy players. All, all the Vandy players. <laughs> yeah. So, Reed, you want to give your take on that? And I can tell them the technical reason why. Well, one, I said they were rushed on the field to take the GRE. Um, but two, um, <laughs> they, they can't eject the whole team. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't, SEC officiating is also terrible. If you watch the end of that Iron Bowl game that we're not talking about, um, they <laughs> were there was actually like a fight, a melee on the field with multiple yeah. people, officials taken out on the field. They threw zero flags, which I have never seen in my life through zero flags and ejected zero people for that as well. So not a great, you know, that was within, I guess, an hour or so of each other. Not a great hour for SEC officiating if you're going by the rule book. And the so, funniest part of the whole thing, well, not funny, but the craziest, saddest part is that finally all of it calms down and the officials are looking at each other like, well, I guess we got to do something. <laughs> and so they they call out three people out of, 50 that could have been called for something they call out three guys and they mis- mix up their numbers they don't even they have got the it three wrong. right guys <laughs> go ahead rustin so two things number one kudos to west rucker before the game started mm-hmm. he he said who the crew was and said he essentially insinuated these guys always lose control there will be a fight today Sure enough. Um, so he he called it. Um, second thing, anytime a fight breaks out, there's one official whose sole job, this is the technical reason of what happened, his sole job is to stay out of the fray and sit there with a notepad, and he literally has a notepad tucked in his pocket, sit there with a notepad and just write down numbers. 
And, and then when everything gets sorted out and it's done, they come together and he sits there and goes, all right, number three, number 56, number 58. And that's who all they eject. If you watch the playback and I saw it live at first and I was like, I'm not sure there's anything on that card. If you watch the playback, they zoom in on the refs huddle and the dude with the notepad has a blank piece of paper. He forgot to write the numbers down. And and he's sitting there and they're all talking and you can see him. He's like kind of gesturing at it like I didn't get anybody. And so that's why they couldn't throw anybody out because he didn't write anybody down. Just naming <laughs> random numbers. 67 and a half. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That was a that was a really bad career. I really I mean, it's funny to make fun of Vanderbilt, um, but it, it, I, I'm 100 percent with what Clark Lee did there and his team in that the officials didn't blow the whistle several times. Tennessee players played through the the lack of whistle, which they yeah. were supposed to do. It wasn't a dirty thing. I'm not blaming Tennessee for that. It's all on the officials in that scenario. And I would be ticked off too if I was a coach or a player watching my players get mauled when we've stopped for whatever. It's just, yeah, it was terrible officiating. Don't blame Lee for getting upset. Don't blame Tennessee players for playing because I didn't hear a whistle either. And it was just – it was all on SEC officiating, which has been a common theme as well this year. Yeah. Well, and if you watch it back, there's even Vandy offensive linemen that are still blocking. They never heard a whistle. They just right. they're playing. Uh, Doug said he's going to uh, watch the replay, got to go to Bedling for it. So, hey, we appreciate it, Doug. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, buddy. <laughs> have, have a good evening. Uh, Billy said – I hope we get real players, and if Nico doesn't do good, if not, sorry, but I predict eight and four because if Hypel doesn't change things like trick plays, et cetera, we will not have a good year. So I'm assuming that's about next year. Uh, I mean, we can we can talk about that next year in a little bit, I guess. The only thing I'll uh, say to that, Georgia and Alabama are the only two decent teams on our schedule next year. We might have. Well, we got Oklahoma. We have to go to Oklahoma, who just lost their offensive coordinator and quarterback. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm not sold on Brent Venables. Like somebody's gonna have to prove to me he can he can do the job. So I, I, I think this might be our weakest schedule in ten years. Well, I mean, I hope that ends up being the case. The, the lack, of, in there. lack of divisions might help for once. We've got an Arkansas. We've got an Arkansas team that's in a dumpster right now. We've got Mississippi State, who's going to be completely starting over. I mean, it's just not. We got UTC. We got North Carolina State. Like it's just not that great of a schedule. Well, North Carolina State, if they do what they're doing this year, that'll be a good game. Maybe a bowl rematch. Looking ahead, but that's. I think that's a fantastic point. Absolutely possible. Uh, let's see, Baba Lion. Nice. Uh, so Jesus loves you. Have a great day. I totally agree. He does. Uh, and that's a good thing, isn't it? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, Audrey said number 56. Welcome, Audrey. Good to have you with us. She said number 56 on Vandy was getting very upset that Pierce kept beating him off the edge. Definitely lost his temper more than once. Uh, the thing that really bothered me, I, I mean, obviously the, the massive bench clearing melee was something, but there was one um, extra point, I think it was, maybe a field goal. And if you, when you watch the replay back, the offensive line for Tennessee is just doing their thing, blocking. 
kick goes, you know, over the line of scrimmage. Dude for Vanderbilt just turns around and punches dude for Tennessee right in the back of the helmet. Which, side note, how stupid is that to punch a dude in the back of the helmet? And so then, you know, a little scuffle happens. And then this other guy just comes through. I don't know who, who it was on Tennessee that he hit. But man, he just cleaned a cold clock to dude coming from the side. And because at that point, the refs had lost all control of the game. Um, crazy. Carl said, Vols by 24, but they dropped out of the AP top 25. That's true. They did. Uh, Toledo replaced Tennessee in the top 25. Can't say that I think Toledo's a better team than Tennessee. Um, I think that if those two teams were to go head to head, I think Tennessee might beat Toledo. Um, so I'm not totally sure that that's a good call by the Associated Press, but um, that that is something that happened today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, people are talking about the Iron Bowl. Um, let's see. <laughs> Uh, oh, Josh, welcome, Josh. Uh, he said, you couldn't hear the whistle at all in the stadium, especially on the second one. We were celebrating the sack. I, we, we didn't hear it on TV either. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I don't, did they blow it? I, I mean, did they, what are they doing? I, I don't know. It wasn't I, the Georgia game. We weren't breaking decimal <laughs> records. Like, I don't, I don't understand what they were doing out there. It's a, continues to be, there's too much money. Again, a common theme. There's too much money being made by the NCAA, by the SEC, by each school for officiating to be this terrible. It is absolutely a choice. It can be fixed. They have to invest in that. It should be fixed, period. Amen. And it wouldn't be that expensive. I mean, there... you, I'm sure you guys watch NFL games. Like there are some bad officials, there's some bad calls, but officiating is never the story after a game. Right. Very, 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 very rarely. Right. Yep. They are not incompetent. They don't have to be incompetent in the SEC, especially. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They're part timers. Like, how how are officials in a billion dollar industry part timers? Like that makes no sense. Right. I'm with you 100%, Rustin. So this is why I love having Zach join us on the show. And when he, because Zach, he is the ultimate Vol fan. Uh, like, I love this. Y'all were talking about the next season came up. Zach immediately commented 15 and 0 national champions. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and he said, also, there's no cupcake schedules for Georgia and Bama next year. They play right. each other, actually, I believe, in the in the regular season. They're yep. on each other's schedule for the first time in yep. well, only the second time in the last 10, 12, 15 years, I think. Florida has um, the hardest schedule in the history of college football. Oh, and yeah. Georgia and Alabama no longer get to play cupcakes. Yeah. F- poor Florida. I mean, like, they, they, they got a rough go of it next year. Not Things only I've never have, said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, here, here they are. They got just a brutal SEC schedule. And then their four out-of-conference games are Florida State, Miami, UCF, and Samford. <laughs> uh, and so One got, win on there. One and 11. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Florida, I mean, it literally might be the most difficult schedule in the history of college football next year. I mean, it is crazy. Um, Goodbye, Billy. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That's I'm not sure exactly we want right. that, but whatever. <laughs> yep. Also very true. Yes. 
Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, Nick, welcome, Nick. Great to have you. This is a interesting take. Nick said it's got to be time for Joe to move. Well, it is because he's a six-year yeah. senior, so he's he done. has to. Um, he said it serves absolutely zero purpose for Joe to play for us in the bowl game. That's meaningless. Mm, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to answer that and say I'd like to answer that one. Uh, Nico needs to be QB1 from here on out, all the reps, etc. Nick, I totally understand why you feel that way. However, I actually think it would be to Tennessee's detriment to not have Joe. If Joe wants to play in that game, it would be to Tennessee's detriment to not allow Joe to play in that game. And here's why. This is his, his last audition for the NFL draft. Uh, for the future recruiting efforts of the University of Tennessee, it is important to continue to say, look, we have a quarterback drafted consistently, you know, all the time. Every quarterback that comes through, Hendon, he got drafted. Joe, he got drafted. Uh, and especially if it's a high draft pick. In addition, uh, if if what message does that send to recruits if they're like, okay, all right, thanks, Joe. We appreciate you, but we're moving on now. Uh, you can go get ready for the draft uh, on your own with a personal trainer. We're going to go on with Nico now. What message does that send about the team concept to potential recruits who are looking, you know, in the future, they're like, well, I know that eventually they're just going to move on from me. Uh, no, you got to stick with your guy, man. You got to show loyalty because recruits value that. And so that, that would be my answer to that. I think it is actually to better for Tennessee if Joe plays in the bowl game. And, and the other part of that is, and, and Reed had a really great post on Twitter this week. I keep saying Twitter, X, whatever, I don't know, the, the thing. It's Twitter, uh, and it's fine. There you go. Um, and so Reed had a great post about that and how well Joe had actually played, comparatively speaking, to other Tennessee recent quarterbacks this year. But I, I cannot, I can't imagine, like we had somebody uh, this past week, actually last week, say that Josh Heupel, intentionally tanked this season to keep Joe in the, in the game like that. I'm no, uh, <laughs> that makes, that doesn't make any sense for him to do that. Uh, Heupel needs to win. He knows that just look at Zach Arnett. You get one year and you're done kind of thing. You got to win. Heupel knows that he's going to put the person in the game who he trusts to hold the ball on every single play. And so, that's my take on that. Uh, I, I think it would actually be better for Tennessee to play Joe, but I totally understand why you feel that way, Nick. I really do. Um, you know, there's a lot of excitement about Nico, and understandably so. He was the number one overall rated player in the country last year. So I get that. But I, I do think it would be better uh, for Tennessee to play Joe. Do you all want to say anything about that? Well, I, I'm, I'm with you on the, on the sense of I don't think – coaches think like fans think, which is something that I've said on here before, um, having covered them <laughs> for years and David developing friendships with some who left the school uh, in both football and basketball. I just, they don't think like fans think. They don't, period. They're not, they're thinking about who gives us the best chance to win this game. And it's not to say that they don't sit down and think about the overall trajectory of the program and what what's next season look like and whatever, but they are wanting if when they line up, they want to win that game every single time. And if they don't, they're not going to make it. Period. They're not going to make it. So they, they don't have the luxury of thinking like that. 
So I'm with you, Evan. If, if Joe wants to go prepare for the draft, he's earned that right. He can do that. And then Nico plays. Absolutely. That's the right move. If Joe wants to play in the bowl game, remember, you don't beat Clemson last year without him. You don't That's win right. the Orange Bowl without him. It's not that long ago, people. Our memory <laughs> should be longer than that. Um, he's, he's earned that right. It's, it's period. That's it. It's, it's pretty simple to me. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, welcome, Josh. He said a similar thing. He said, I know I'm in the minority, but I completely understand why Heupel handled the QB situation the way he did. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people calling for Nico. And I keep going back to this. Uh, the UTSA game, Nico's first pass was a pass to Dante Thornton. Uh, beautiful ball. Just a laser right to Thornton. Hit, I mean, literally right in the chest. Hit Dante in the hands and fell straight down. Like <laughs> he just straight up dropped it. And dude, two rows behind me, I was sitting in section QQ at the time. Uh, dude, two rows behind me goes, "Well, that ain't a good pass." <laughs> well, and then, so that yeah, I can't remember who. Sorry, I, I can't remember who asked or talked about Nico starting the bowl game. I understand. I, I do want to say that I understand why fans want to see that. Fans are ready to turn the page. Fans yeah, are yeah. want to look forward to next year. Fans want to see a taste of what the offense looks like. So I don't want to belittle that. I, did, I didn't mean to come across as well, that way. I don't want to belittle that. I get it. The backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team. That's always true. I'm old enough to remember people wanting Josh Dobbs to be benched for Quentin Dormady and some other backup quarterbacks on Tennessee's roster at the time. So it's, it's not a new phenomenon, but I, I get it. I do. I, I just I think that's that's Josh Heupel played Joe Milton this year because he thought Joe Milton gave him the best chance to win. I know we haven't seen a ton of Nico. Nico could be great next year. There's nothing I've seen Nico do this year that was like, oh, that guy definitely should be playing over Milton. Yeah. Merklinger is going to be really hard to chant. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't even <laughs> pretend to come up with one for it. <laughs> Uh, Tony said, if we can't win the East, how are we going to do when there are no divisions? Love the Vols, but we have a ways to go. I mean, well, that's Would have played in the SEC Championship last year under the new that's format. Right. That's that. exactly right. Um, so, you know, in year two under Heupel, Tennessee beat the SEC West Championship uh, champion LSU at LSU, beat Alabama, would have had the second best record, would have won those tie breaks, would have played in the SEC Championship game under the nor- new format last year. Yep. That's exactly and also, right. nobody's beating Georgia. Apparently ever. <laughs> yeah, ever again, which is the <laughs> worst thing that could possibly happen to my soul. Um, that's another story. <laughs> Reed's not a huge fan of Athens. <laughs> um, still my favorite Reed Carringer quote ever uh, was back in the Rocky Top Insider days when he was talking about his distaste for Athens. And uh, he said, Grown men bark at you like dogs there. <laughs> that's, like, that's all you got to say, man. That's that Another awesome. dimension. I don't know. <laughs> uh, this, uh, Tony said this when Rustin was talking about going to Oklahoma next year. He said, no offense, brother, but hadn't been good on the road. Well, that was certainly this true year. this year. This yeah, year. Was, this, yeah. last, the la- last year we went to, Ole Ma- I mean, uh, to Missouri and waxed them, went to yeah. LSU oh. and waxed them. 
LSU, um, yeah. Missouri's home, but at LSU, that's right. Two, two years, years ago, ago. Two years we ago, we beat Missouri. 66 to whatever, 20. Um, you know, we weren't great on the road this year, but under Josh Heupel, we've been fine on the road. Uh, Green Wave said, whoa, y'all got Kurt Cobain on the show and he knows football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've Green, never heard I, that before. A <laughs> couple times. <laughs> you sign autographs yet? A couple times. <laughs> okay, funny story about that. Sorry, I know it's totally off topic. Well, not really. Um, my wife's dad, so my father-in-law, about, you know, in the mid-90s when Tom Glavin was just mowing people down for the Braves, my father-in-law looked a lot like Tom Glavin in the mid-90s. And people would come up to him and ask him for his autograph. And he would say, I'm sorry, I'm not Tom Glavin. I know you think I am, but I'm not. And one time he had a lady look at him and say, I know you have to say that, but can you please sign this anyway? <laughs> it was great. So he did. He signed it for her. <laughs> That's really funny. It cracked me up. Um, all right. So Josh said, the only way you make a switch that could screw up a locker room is if it can win you a championship. We didn't have the roster this year to do that. Stick with Joe. Show recruits you're loyal. Yeah, that's fair. That's uh, I totally understand that. Okay, yeah. Audrey. The other thing is, if if he gets if he gets Joe drafted this year, if he gets to that point, it's not just we've had two quarterbacks in two years gets drafted. It's we've had two quarterbacks who didn't make it at their first destination in two years get drafted. That speaks to development in a transfer quarterback way. Yeah. That's a good point, Russ. And uh, you know, I haven't. You feel it's it's easy to feel like Hooker is like a Tennessee guy because he burst onto the scene there in, in the Heifel's first year. Uh, but yeah, well, didn't make it at Virginia Tech. Audrey wins Joe the award. Didn't make it at Michigan, I, I, and and that's it. Like you know, I've I've if if you watched Joe's first game at Tennessee and you watch that game yesterday, and you still call him Overthrow Joe, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, 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 I get that first impressions stick, but come on now. Yeah, he's a drastically different player. Uh, Audrey, with a Ted Lasso reference, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Carl said, tinfoil hat here, Sankey can control these officials, dollar sign. <laughs> Carl, there's a, I actually, I can't remember if it was a LeBron James quote or, or who said it, but it was a, an elite athlete in their sport that said, sports are more entertainment than sport. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. And when I see like an all out brawl where people are throwing hands and assault rifles out there at Alabama and Auburn and no flags are thrown <laughs> because that would hurt the product next week in the SEC championship game. Yep. So that's more entertainment than sport in that scenario. So I don't, I don't disagree with you, Carl. And and tinfoil or not, all those refs have earpieces in, and it's supposed to be able to talk to each other. But there's also somebody in the booth talking to them too. And I guarantee you, there was somebody on that horn telling everyone, "Um, we're not throwing anybody out right now." <laughs> right. Uh, Josh said, grow Nico into a complete quarterback so the whole playbook's open, bring back key offensive line pieces going next year shooting for the playoff. Certainly achievable next year with 12 teams, and we'll talk about that in a yep. little bit. Um, Zach said, Bazooka Joe always have placed Tennessee, but he let me down more than once. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
Uh, Justin, I, welcome. Good I, to have you with you. Can I touch Go on ahead, that for a second? Yeah, no, I, Zach, I think that's – I thought Joe would be better this year. Uh, I did. I thought Agreed. Tennessee's offense would be better this year. Uh, I thought they would be kind of your typical top 10-ish type of offense. I thought Joe was going to be more like the guy we saw in the Orange Bowl than we've seen uh, against Georgia or Texas A&M or Missouri or, or pick, pick, your, pick your game. He was the best player of Florida. Another story. Uh, but I I did think he was going to be better. That's it. Uh, it's easy. We can say that and also that he was a serviceable SEC quarterback and better than probably 20 guys that have started at Tennessee in the last 20 years. And I can run you off a list of names if, if you want, if you want records on that. So it's, it's, um, it's both. It's both. He, he, there was a terrible pass against Texas A&M into the end zone that could have ended up costing in the game. You know, there were a couple of those that were, were very, very catastrophic potentially to Tennessee's um, prospects in that game. But, at the same time, I think he did a lot of things that went underappreciated, uh, yep. partially because he was following the the best quarterback Heifel's ever had and one of the best quarterbacks Tennessee's ever had, frankly. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. I also, I also don't think we can ever really know how badly it hurt for Brew McCoy to go down. Um, after Brew went down, we never had a wide receiver step up and become the guy. And it, it hurt us in huge situations. And that was, um, honestly, I think he, that Bruce was kind of the leader of that offense. Um, yep. Took a couple of plays out of the playbook, uh, in addition to just his presence on the field. And we didn't have a receiver like that. And with all the drops this year, too, uh, you knew you could throw it to Brew. And that was gone. Um, yeah, there, we can talk more about kind of overall trajectory and what happened this year, but um, Joe was way down on my list of, of issues with this team. Yeah. Uh, so people, uh, Billy asks, can you pronounce Nico's last name? <laughs> I'm still having trouble with it. Iamaleava. What's awesome is go. somebody in the in the in the uh, comments actually spelled it out phonetically for him. Yeah, <laughs> Justin did good. that. I appreciate that. Uh, based on utsports.com pronunciation guide reed just nailed it uh you put the our dad always says you, you he goes oh i'll put the emphasis, emphasis on the wrong syllable um it, so the the emphasis was on the ma and the lay according to the ut sports pronunciation guide so just like reed just said it's iamaleava iamaleava um so there you go that's what i'm talking justin about justin got it right he was hooked Nico. on phonics <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, it's Nico. There you go. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's jump on ahead. Um, uh, Brant. Oh, <laughs> Brant is apparently from Athens. He said, I have to live down here, Reed. It's miserable. <laughs> um, that's I'm sorry, saying. Brant. I really am. If I ever meet you, <laughs> I will compensate you with a beverage for your struggles. <laughs> um, Tony said, wish our defensive backs, especially safeties, wanted to hit somebody like Teenlander. Uh, I tell you, he was once he got comfortable, he was bringing the hat. It was impressive. At, Russell, that was a. I'm glad you brought him up earlier because that was somebody. As I was watching the game and taking notes yesterday, I didn't go. Um, I was, I'm like, wait, where did he come from? What? Like this guy's flying around, taking some names, mm -hmm. um, and looked like he wanted to hit somebody. I'm like some other guys on the team. 
Um, and <laughs> that's that's what Tennessee needs. Like, let's be mm-hmm. aggressive. Yep. Let's be aggressive. That's it. And and that's the same mentality Arian Carter has. It's the same mentality Jalen Smith has. Jalen Smith made a heck of a tackle on a kickoff yesterday. Um, open field, really, really pretty tackle. Um, we, we've got some younger guys that have that mentality, and it's it's going to be fun to watch them the next couple of years. So real quick, let's do our last normal question. Then I want to get into that senior day list because that's what I'm most excited to talk about tonight. Um, we're 40, 40 minutes in, 44 minutes. <laughs> so our, our, our last question that we normally do, uh, play of the game. Reed, you get to start. What was your play of the game yesterday? All right. Well, player of the game, Joe Milton gets uh, pressured about two seconds from the snap, avoids the pressure, steps up kind of off one foot, throws one to a tight end, 34 yards for a touchdown, Jacob Warren. thought that was just a beautiful play. It looked like an NFL play. Again, uh, avoid the pressure. There are a lot of times, even against Vanderbilt, which should concern you, um, that yeah. he was getting pressured two seconds or less from the snap. That was one of those plays. Um, and he made a play, avoided the pressure, showed good pocket awareness, kind of off his front foot, just let one go, flicker the wrist, 34 yards. Good catch. Had him miss one earlier. Good catch. Touchdown. Uh, rediscovered the tight end. That was at a spot in the game. It's like, all right, well, this game's this game's over now at this point. Um, so, yeah, big play. Big play for me. You could also – the honorable mention uh, was the first touchdown of the game to kind of set the tone. Absolutely. Yeah. Rustin, what's yours? Well, I'm an air raid guy. So if you run double slant with a wheel, I'm going to get excited. Um, so what was even better, though, and a lot of people don't understand this, the ball Joe threw to McAllen Castles on that double slant wheel that route was really combination nice. was a gorgeous ball that not many people he, – he has one spot he can throw that ball, and he put it right on the money. Um, if he misses just slightly high, if he underthrows it slightly, it hits the back of the DB's uh, helmet. Like he, it's a tough ball, and he put it right where it had to be. Um, just a beautiful play all the way around. Overthrow Joe though, Rustin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, y'all y'all hit mine. Uh, that I mean, obviously that the throw to McCallan Castles. The, the route, the throw, it was, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, got the, he, and the he wasn't back. open, you know, right? Like, <laughs> he, exactly. That's the perfect throw. He put it where only it was, one guy could catch it. I mean, it was it was gorgeous. Um, but I think if I had to, if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with the honorable mention one that Reed said. That first touchdown pass of the game to Ramel Keaton, deep ball over the middle, just. Beautiful ball on the money. Ramel caught it, which was good. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, in stride. I mean, coasted in the end zone. It was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And it, it was it was off to the races from there. So, um, just a beautiful, beautiful play. Uh, let's see. A uh, couple of comments came in about there. Um, Oh, goodness, a whole bunch of comments came in. Uh, let's see. Justin said, Brew did things that didn't show up on a stat sheet better than others did the things that do. That's a good point. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I think good. number 15 should you should have to earn it at Tennessee really after Jennings um and brew it's not just a Absolutely. Jennings thing it's a brew thing too yeah because those guys were the quintessential college athletes in my mind who maximized their talent um and did so many little things well and I'm, I'm a 49ers fan i'm loving seeing jennings succeed in that offense and he's perfect for that because he does all those little things yep uh and he's so physical and teams are just not ready for it and bruise the same way love those two guys some a couple of my favorite balls in in my life as a ball fan and I'm, I'm 36 so uh to tell you about that just mentality and guys that oh you don't they don't jump out at you skill wise as oh that's you know, an elite college player, an elite NFL player, or, but they maximize their talent and do so many little things really well. And I think that should be a, a number that is not requested, but is given after it is earned at Tennessee. Yep. I and love you, that idea. And you said it a second ago. It's, it's not even, it's not even the little things he does. It's, he probably was the leader of that offense because he's a butt kicker. I mean, he just he has no issue going out there and attacking somebody. It's the same mentality Juwan Jennings had. Um, somebody jokingly um, tweeted yesterday at halftime a picture of the flash running across the screen. It's a Juwan Jennings heading back to Nashville at, at halftime or heading I back. Think that, to was, that was that was Rucker too. Yeah. Um, you know, because that, that was his mentality. There was a fight in the stadium. I got to get there. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you've got to. And Brew McCoy, if he wasn't on, if he wasn't in a boot and on crutches yesterday, I guarantee you, Brew would have been right in the middle of that fight. Um, he's one of those guys that you just you got to have on the sideline. He's he's got to be vocal. Um, you know, he's he's your heartbeat. Uh, let's see. Uh, Zach said Joe's pass to McCallan Castles was his his play of the game. Brennan, welcome, Brennan. It's good to have you with us, buddy. Uh, he said, you know, people were mocking overthrow Joe all past two years. He said overthrow is better than underthrow. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right, because then if it's underthrow, you got interceptions. So um, he's exactly right. Uh, Carl said Joe's accuracy for Fanny was off the charts. It was. It was one of his best games in Orange. Um, Scott said the rest beat my Buffalo Bills again today. I'm sorry about that, Scott. Mm. Uh, all I, I, I saw – I think it was more the last two running plays where DeAndre Swift and Jalen Hurts ran right through your defense untouched. I don't think the ref had anything to do with those two. Uh, I did see the phantom horse collar that was 100% a horse collar. On. You're going to get a new coach, Scott, uh, in the offseason. So <laughs> look forward to that. Uh, Eric Claiborne said, I feel like Beasley disappeared at the end of the season. That's fair. I think he disappeared for half the season. Last um, half. Yep. I I think could he have played better? Yes. But I also think you have to pay attention to what the offense was doing. Um people were not taking the ball to his side of the field. They were actively attacking Elijah Herring's side mm -hmm. of the field as much as humanly possible. So, you know, if you watch, most of Aaron Beasley's tackles come running people down from behind. Missouri um, didn't attack him like you're talking about. Mm -mm. They they ignored him completely. They just mm -hmm. found wherever Elijah Herring was and went, we're going right there. Um, whole game. Uh, Audrey said, I didn't realize Brew only played six games in 2020 and nothing again until 2022 as a starter in four and a half games this year. Um, yep. And Tony said, Brew is his favorite player and it's not even close. 
The best um, thing could possibly happen is because of what Audrey just said, maybe NFL scouts will ignore his measurables and go, we just haven't seen enough on tape and that'll be enough to get him back for another year. But the NFL's also, you know, they're, they're all about the measurables and brew looks really good in the uniform. Um, that, so, that catch to be Bama looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you knew if he threw, if he was third down, and you threw it to him. He wasn't going to drop it. You knew that. Uh, and there's a lot to say about that. So that leads perfectly into this, and this is actually, I think, my favorite part uh, about wh- all the stuff we're going to talk about tonight. And that is Ben McKee tweeted out this list of people who went through Senior Day festivities during uh, the game Saturday, and. There are four names in particular on this list that I want us to talk about, and we just talked about the first one, and that's Brew McCoy. Uh, First of all, the four names we're going to talk about are guys who could come back for one more year if they want to, and Brew was a guy that could is a guy that could come back if he wants to. So, Reed, Rustin, is there a chance – Brew McCoy comes back, or is this the message to Vol Nation that he's done? Before we answer that, I want to ask Reed a different question. Reed, do you think Senior Day matters anymore? Uh, as as far as okay, I'll ask. I'll respond to your question with the question, Russ. Um, <laughs> a clarifying question. Uh, so matters as in what what it signals player wise to yeah. towards next year, right? Um, probably not. Yeah. Um, Really, I, I think so much can change between yesterday and tomorrow, even for a lot of these players, uh, especially in the age of NIL and whatever this is going to look like next season roster wise or whoever is ahead of them or behind them or maybe they're recruited over or whatever. Yeah. So many variables. I, I just it it's maybe we'll see. I would not surprise me to see guys that go through that start coming back um, on the regular if it is in their best interest. Yeah, absolutely. I I wouldn't be surprised if senior day eventually gets altered in some way to become some other type of ceremony because it really, I mean, Tennessee set the precedent. It's not just football. They've done it in basketball now Mm -hmm. where guys, I mean, Josiah James and Santi Vescovi both went through senior day last year and now here they are starting. Um, you know, so it's, I just don't think it matters anymore. Uh, I think it's, I think it's an old, an old tradition that probably is going to have to be altered. So Tony makes a good point. He said, Jacob Warren went there last year, came back this year. Um, I do think it matters for people who have no eligibility left. Like Joe Um, or like Joe. Yeah. I mean, like they, they know this is it Uh, guys who have a year of eligibility left. It, you know, they know they got that in their back pocket. And that's, Roof, for think, example. Yeah. And that's why I think they're going to have to alter what it is. Like they're going to have to stop calling it senior day. They're going to have to stop pretending like it's their last moment ever. Um, like it's going to have to become some other kind of ceremony that makes more sense. Sure. Um, Brew, for example, uh, Rustin and I were talking about this uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, something. And, Brew can, you know, declare for the draft. He can do that. Uh, or not declare, but he can, you know. He'll test he, the draft waters. Test the, yeah, test the waters. That's the phrase I was looking for. Thank you. 
um, he can test those waters and see what happens. I think what Audrey mentioned is his lack of sample size could, you know, be one reason why he might not get the kind of grade that he wants to get, but his measurables are there. Um, you know, I, I keep going back to what Cade May said, I guess three or two or three years ago now. Um, Cade was in a situation where he had one year of eligibility left and he was straight up asked, are you, you know, are you coming back next year? And he said, well, um, he said, if, if I can get third, he knew he was a projected third round draft pick at the time. And he said, if I can get third round money in NIL, then yeah, I'll be back. But if I can't, then I'm gone. Like, and he straight up said it. Like he knew that he knew the round end number he was looking for. It's a business decision at that point. And right. So I'm sure, you know, that'd be the, the same way with, um, you know, with brew, if, 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 it, if business wise, it makes sense, then he's gone. If not, then he might be back. But the flip side of that coin, and this is, you know, what y'all were essentially just saying of, you know, there are other factors involved now. So let's look at another name on this list right well, here. And before you, yeah. before you move forward, I think a really important, important point to make that people need to understand the league minimum now in the NFL is $750,000. Right. So if one of these guys is going to make a business decision and avoid a draft grade that's decent, there's going to have to be at least three quarters of a million dollars in NIL money to change their mind. Which we know is out there. I mean, look at what Nico, Nico had the best job in the world this year. Um, Nico made like $8 million and don't get hit stood on the sideline. Yeah. Um, so Jabari small, He's on this list. Jabari is a senior. However, uh, he still has one year of eligibility left. So what this tells me is that Jabari knows he's transferring. But that's what this tells me. Uh, he's going to do exactly what Ty Chandler did, which Ty Chandler is now playing with Josh Dobbs and the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, Tomorrow night, Monday Night Football. That's exactly right, yeah. And so I, what this tells me is that Jabari knows he's gone. He's going to transfer spend his last year uh, somewhere else as the featured back. I think that's what we see here. What do y'all take on that? And here's my second part of that question. So what does that mean for Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson for next year? Because some folks were losing their, not their, not losing their minds, but some folks were very concerned earlier on Twitter about Dylan Sampson. So what, what are, what are y'all's opinions on that? You can go ahead, Reed. Uh, so, Small was second in the SEC in touchdowns last year. This year, underwhelming year, I think banged up um, a lot. Running back by committee. Uh, I, I'm i more with you, Evan, on thinking maybe he wants to go somewhere and sh- show what he can do. He realizes potentially that Dylan Sampson is going to be the featured guy next year because um, curveball – if I'm Jalen Wright and I'm going to get millions of dollars to go to the NFL, see ya. Um, yep. The guy who had the fastest ball, uh, ball carrier speed in the world this year. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. um, faster faster um, than Tyree Kill at one point. Right. So uh, I, I'm given I'm to Jaylen understand Wright, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. If I'm Jalen Wright, I'm saying, look, uh, running backs, he's not been used a ton. NFL teams will like that. I'm, I'm jumping to the draft, honestly. So for me, when you're talking about Dylan Sampson and Jabari Small, it's a Dylan Sampson 
Samson show next year for Tennessee um, as the roster stands now and how I think it's going to shake out. I like Small. I think he's a good back. I think he was banged up this year, didn't get to showcase his full potential, maybe wants to go do that somewhere else next year, which I understand after this season for him. Um, and I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of Dylan Sampson if he's here next year for Tennessee. Yep. I agree with that. I think Jalen Wright's going to get a really good draft grade and he's going to be gone. Um, I think Jabari small does the Ty Chandler route and goes and looks for somewhere else to, to be a feature back. Um, I do think the one thing that will be interesting to watch is I think it'll be the Dylan Sampson show. I think they'll, you know, the NIL money that uh, Jalen got this year to stay, that'll just pass right on to, to Dylan Sampson. I think it'll be interesting to see, are they ready for Cam Seldon to be number two option or do they go get a running back in the portal? Um, you know, I think that'll be interesting to see, um, you know, maybe maybe Cam will be ready and they yeah. like what they see there and it'll be a two-back system. Um, I don't see them playing three with the guys we've got behind them. There's going to have to be a lot of development there. Um, or maybe they go find a third back in the portal and, you know, that's the number three guy. Um, but I think it's, I think it's the Dylan Sampson show. I don't think uh, ball fans will be upset about that. I agree. So the, what, apparently what happened this evening, um, Dylan Sampson removed the, the name Tennessee from his Instagram bio. And immediately people started saying, uh-oh, he's leaving. Okay. I think he also, he also posted a Drake song about going home. <laughs> so, and he put Louisiana made in his bio. And so he removed Tennessee, said Louisiana made. So here's the thing. I think somebody on Twitter hit the nail on the head. Uh, um, I think what we're seeing here is Dylan was in the same running back room as Jalen Wright at the end of the 2022 season. Mm -hmm. And Jalen Wright made a very famous Instagram post about it's just a business decision. And yep. he removed everything from his Instagram bio. He subsequently received a very large NIL deal, apparently, and he came back to Tennessee. So could it be, and yep, Audrey just, she beat me to the punch there. She said he's running up that page. That's exactly what I think. Uh, I think he's learned from Jalen how to work the system. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Dylan, he knows better than anybody because he's in that running back room who is and is not returning next year. Clearly Jabari's not, he's not going to come back. Um, I totally agree with Reed. I mean, Jalen, if Jalen uh, declares for the draft and has a pro day where he runs a really, really, um, you know, quick 40 time, he's gone. I mean, he'll get drafted at that point. Cause like, like Reed said, he, he literally had the fastest ball carrier speed. And I like the way Reed put it in the world <laughs> this year. So that, I mean, that's numbers don't lie. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, and you got to know pro scouts are watching him run the ball between the tackles and literally dragging defensive linemen with him for a few, few yards. They got to love that. And I, and Reed hit another really important point. He doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body that a lot of other running backs do. And so there's more longevity there with him. 
I mean, I think he's gone. So if that's the case, then Dylan, he knows, he knows better than anybody in the world right now, other than Jalen Jabari, what they're going to do. Cause they're in the same room together every day. And so he knows where they're, what they're planning on. And he knows, Hey, this is going to be my time. I do not see. And once again, if he knows he's going to be the featured back, why in the world would he want to leave when he saw what Jalen did this year? One good season in your in your draft thousand yards, yeah, yeah. So he's not. I'm. I'll be shocked if he goes anywhere. Uh, he he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, I'll be shocked. I love Carl's it's, point. It's the where else is he going to go? That he's going to be a featured back in an offense like Tennessee's and get the type of money you can get at Tennessee. Right. Absolutely. And so maybe there is somewhere. That's that's a small list. A Absolutely, small list. and those those places already have featured backs in that room too. I'm sure. Um, I love Carl's point. Jimmy Sexton's coaching Dylan Sampson. <laughs> Peter Burns said the tweet of the year earlier today. Uh, he did hashtag Jimmy Sexton season. <laughs> no, you gotta say it properly. S Z N. I don't know how. Season Sexton season. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So the, another name on that list, and I'm going to go back to the comments because there have been a couple couple good uh, comments come through. Um, another name on that list that kind of surprised me, honestly, was Gabe Judy Lawley. Gabe has one year of eligibility left, and he went through senior day activities. Surely he's coming back. I mean, I do not think he would transfer anywhere because he knows if he comes back, he's he's starting at a corner. Like he knows that. They won. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do y'all think about that? That really surprised me, honestly. I think it's the same as Brew. I think he'll test the draft waters and just see where he stacks up. If he doesn't get a round five or higher grade, he'll come back. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Russ. And I was kind of curious about his thinking behind that um because yeah they they won start for tennessee next year and, and a spot that tennessee needs a starter as well i'm sure there's some Amen, for him there financially so um and i thought he had a really uh, tough last couple games didn't look great yesterday um but that's a guy that i would love to see back and starting for tennessee next year yeah i totally agree he of all of our defensive secondary, he was the surest tackler of any of them. Um, and I, I, it would be a huge benefit for Tennessee if he were to come back because he does have one year left. And and I really hope he uses it. Uh, God guns and ammo. Welcome back. Good to have you. He said that uh, speaking of Dylan Sampson, he wants the money. And I think that's probably pretty good, you know, pretty good assessment of it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what like Jimmy Sexton would coach him to do. <laughs> Uh, so our last person on this list that I want to talk about, some people asked about D Williams and we, we can go back and answer that if we have time here in a little bit. D does have a year of eligibility left, I believe. Um, he does, but he also went through that and, you know, he might be thinking he can do it, pull a Valus Jones and, you know, Valus, the thing that got him drafted, obviously Hypel, how he used him, got him drafted, but Valus really, really displayed his talent in the return game. And D certainly did that this year. Um, so, you know, maybe that's what he's thinking. But this one, even more uh, Jabari Small, it's kind of hard to be more intriguing than that one. But this one is at least a close second because 
what does it mean for the quarterback room that Gaston Moore is on this list? What do y'all think that means for the quarterback? Because Gaston has a whole other year of eligibility left. So clearly Gaston's like, I'm going to go. Yeah. Got a couple plays yesterday. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, Gaston Moore, I think Gaston Moore's good enough. They've probably told him, Hey, you, you've got a chance to play at some of these group of five schools. You need to go. Uh, I think they've probably told him you need to go ahead and walk transfer and, and go play somewhere. I had this conversation yesterday during the game about some of those guys was looking at the bench and talking about what would I tell my son to do right mm. in that scenario? Like, even if you're a Navy Schuler, you know, um, uh, what 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 would I tell them to do? Um, because I would want them to play because it's your only chance you're ever going to get in your life to play college football. Yep. And if you're not going to play at Tennessee, and you are good enough, like Rustin said, to play somewhere else, you should take that chance um, and, and at least go compete for a starting job somewhere. That's what I would coach my. That's what I would want my son to do. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, if my son wasn't good enough to play um, at a school like that uh, or guaranteed a spot, but wanted to be a coach, I would say go play at Tennessee or go be on the roster at Tennessee because you're going to get what yeah. it looks like to, to be in a big time college football program on a, a high level coaching staff, high level facilities, high level administration. So it, it, to me, it all depends on the, the ability level of the player and what they want to do after their career as a player. Um, and so for a guy like Gaston, if he's good enough to play, he should go play for one year. I think you just nailed it. Absolutely. Can you throw that list back up? I know you only want to talk about four, but I think there's one more thing on here. That's really important. Well, hang on before we do that. I want to comment on what Reed said and and what you said too, Rustin, but Reed, you know, the, it's the, the plans of the player and the ability level of the player you know, we're really, we're talking about two guys right now. Gaston Moore, dude, that ball he threw to Caleb Webb in the corner of the end zone was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a beautiful ball. Yeah. Uh, that, hurt, that drop hurt also. Oh, there, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. There's schools like Liberty. You know, Caden Salter is probably going to be gone after this year. He's probably going to go pro. Gaston Moore would be a great fit under Jamie Chadwell. He would do very well there. You know, there's schools mm-hmm. like that. He could go be the starter right away. I mean, Gaston can sling it. He can throw the ball. And like I said, that ball to Caleb Webb was, I mean, on the run, right perfect in the corner of the end. It was beautiful, beautiful pass. And so he certainly has the ability to go play somewhere. I think there is another quarterback currently on the roster that fits the exact other category that y'all mentioned about does my son want to get you know into coaching? And that's Navy Shuler. Uh, I, think, I think Navy is there knowing – He's going to stick out his last year next year, go through senior day next year, and hope to become a grad assistant the following year. Um, I think that I don't know Navy personally, but I would venture to guess that's what he's wanting to do. Uh, And if so, then he is in the perfect spot to do that. Because here's what this means. If Gaston leaves, then we got three guys next year. Redshirt freshman Nico Yamato. Yamaleava. <laughs> I fixed it. I corrected it. Nico. Nico. There you go. Uh, so we got redshirt freshman Nico, true freshman Jake Merklinger, and 
redshirt senior Navy Shuler. Okay, so now the obvious question. Not if, but who are they getting from the portal? Because <laughs> that, that ain't going to cut it. Like, they're not going to have Merklinger be the, you know, just run, what if Nico gets hurt? And and now, well, it's like Merkling, about before, they don't want Merklinger to be back up. They want to get that red shirt in so they can get that two-year gap between every starter. Yeah. So what chance, what do you think percent chance, zero being zero percent and 10 being definitely going to happen, Tennessee gets a, a transfer portal quarterback this offseason? Uh, 10, 9, <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's, uh, one, it's an, when you, you both pointed out earlier, it's an attractive transfer destination because look what the last two guys did. Yeah. Um, and, and two, they need it, uh, just for roster depth. That's something, yeah, you, that's, that's an area the whole program needs to improve is depth at so many positions and quarterback is not yep. exempt from that. I mean, all it takes is one hit when they're scrambling, when they're running with their, you know, for a first down, you know, diving to try to get a first down or something. They Our, take a hit. Joe's knee this year. Like it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't a weird, I wasn't a dangerous play. That was just football. Yeah. Great point. Great point. What's the other name you want to talk about, Rustin? It's really not one, it's four. So when you look at this list, you got Omari Thomas, you've got, Karat Garland, you've got Omar Norman Lott, and you've got Elijah Simmons on there. All four, four defensive of, linemen. All four of them still have their COVID year. A lot of humanity on that list. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to be blunt, they're basically the exact same player um, in the NFL's eyes. And so. I think all four of them are in the same boat. I think all four of them will probably draft the waters, look to see how much Rodney Garner's coaching hat pull actually does matter in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think we probably lose two of them. And I think two probably come back. And if we get any combination of two of those four guys back, that helps significantly. Absolutely. No doubt. Um, so having said that, let's look at the flip side of it real quick. Now this, we don't have to go through these one at a time. I'll just, I'll just list off all these group of guys who these guys are not on this list. They could have been, but these guys are not on this list. And the names of those fellas are one Cooper Mays, which is probably honestly the most important one that's not on that list. Uh, so we got Cooper Mays. We got Javante Spragans. He was not on that list. He didn't go through senior day activities. Keenan Peely. And uh, actually just tonight, you know, the, the players have like a, a standardized tweet that they tweet periodically as part of their deal with the, with the vault club. Um, and it's, it's like a essentially a promotional thing like, hey, join the vault club, that kind of stuff, support our players. Keenan Peely tweeted his out. It's the first one I've ever seen him tweet. And it was tonight. So he didn't go through senior day and he tweets that out like, Hey, support the players. <laughs> He's coming back. <laughs> like, AKA, like fund, AKA fund my NIL program. Exactly. And he, he was a big loss for Tennessee this year. Huge. If you watched 
the Absolutely. defense. Um, <laughs> so I, I could definitely see him coming back anyway, just getting hurt at the, the front of the season and wanting to come back and put a whole season together um, where he's going to have a chance to anchor a defense, put up some numbers as well, really show what he's got. Um, so that, that didn't surprise me. Uh, I think you all talked about on, on X or Twitter. I'm still going to call it Twitter. Um, yeah, me too. Cooper. We, we just made an executive decision. It's, <laughs> it's going to be Twitter. Sorry Cooper coming that. back uh, huge for Tennessee. You saw what that offensive line looked like without him, and it was um, it was holy and not in a good way. Um, <laughs> Spragans as well. You know, I, I love would love Cooper and Spragans back on that line next year. It's going to go a long way towards, I think, helping that offense get back to what everyone expects it to be under Heifel. Absolutely. So those two dudes, I mean, they can start pretty much anywhere they want to in the SEC. So, uh, you know, if you got those two guys back, that's a, a huge positive for that offensive line. Um, Dane Davis also didn't go through senior day activities. Uh, so, I mean, there, you got a guy with experience there. It is my personal hope, nothing against Dane, but it is my personal hope that we develop Addison Nichols enough where he can get the job over Dane or we go to the transfer portal and bring somebody in that is better than Dane. Um, you know, Dane really struggled a couple times this year. I'm thinking particularly the Florida game. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that we have somebody a little bit better than him. But that is good to have his experience in there, obviously, because he's played major football. That's a big deal. Danico Slaughter also didn't go through. Rustin, uh, Rustin made that list for us. Um, you know, Danico, flip a coin, and, and what are you going to get? I mean, I, I don't know. Last year, at the end of the season, he was the best cover corner we had. Right. This year, he took what seemed like a major step back. Um I was real I was real pleasantly surprised to see the amount of snaps Ricky Gibson got Saturday. Bingo. If Danico <laughs> if Danico does come back, I would love to see Gabe Judy Lolly and Ricky Gibson at the corners and slide Danico into the star. I, I think he's much better suited for that job. Yes. And I, I think it makes everybody better. Yeah. Um hundred percent with you, Rustin. I think if if you get some of these players back that we've talked about, it gives you some flexibility roster-wise to maybe not force them into a role that is, doesn't fit their strengths because you don't have anybody else that's better than them at that role. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a perfect example. Uh, let's see here. I think that was everything on that front. Yeah, sure was. So let's look at let's look at our comments here, and we'll wrap up this evening with, uh, with some questions that have come in. Um, let's see. Sam asked, "Hey, Sam, welcome, buddy. Good to have you." He said, "Will criticism of this coaching staff, when people are calling for Hypel's head and stuff, will that break up this recruiting class?" Personally, I don't think so because I think people know Hypel's not going anywhere. Uh, Danny White is not is not going to fire Josh Heupel. Uh, our fan base, the, the most beautiful thing about Vol Nation is that we are extremely passionate about the Tennessee Vols. Also, what could potentially end up being a not great thing is we are so passionate 
about the Tennessee Vols that sometimes it leads our fan base, and I'm sure I've fallen in this before, <laughs> to have somewhat unrealistic expectations and uh, maybe make irrational statements sometimes. I don't know. Uh, but um, the beauty of Vol Nation is our, our passion, and sometimes that passion can get the better of us. And I think player that so the the flip side of that coin is you know the a quote came out today from Jake Merklinger or no, maybe it was McIntyre I can't remember it was one of the two of them but they said Neyland is the most electric stadium in the country and it's because of the passion of our fan base um, and now there's actually scientific numbers to prove that with the decibel record so um, in the history of college football so. You know, I don't think it's going to break up the club. What do y'all think? Uh, I, I mean, one, there's, it's not a realistic thing. Like, it's not. I mean, it's, it's a fringe element of people that are frustrated with going eight and four, which is hilarious if you've been breathing oxygen the last twenty years. Um, I, and I, I just, it's not going to happen. So I, I think that's, that's it. It's not going to happen. And I, I don't. I think recruits know that they're smart enough to see that. Um, and also look around the rest of the SEC. Okay. And I, I sent this to y'all earlier. Josh Heupel's been at Tennessee for three years. And the SEC, it's Georgia, who nobody can beat in the country. Number two in the SEC East RIP. And, <laughs> and wins is Tennessee since Heupel took over. Number two in the SEC East in his tenure with 14 wins. Falls are 14 and 10 in the conference. That includes beating SEC West champion LSU last year, ending the streak against Bama. Uh, second behind Tennessee in that next, you know, uh, Georgia and everybody else, it's Tennessee at the top, Missouri's 12 and 12, Heibel's two, two and one against Missouri. That's it. Uh, Vols have clearly positioned themselves in three years under Heupel as the team behind Georgia in the SEC East. They have, and maybe that's why Georgia fans are always up in my mentions on Twitter and why they can't <laughs> stop barking at me, even when I'm not even talking about them, because they, <laughs> it's, that's it. Tennessee's the team that's positioned to yep. step up and challenge Georgia. or challenge, They already beat Bama. They beat LSU last year. They're, they're clearly there. They're clearly there. They're clearly that team in that next tier under the elite teams in the conference that's positioned to make that jump. And I, I think recruits see that. They're, they're smart enough to see that. That's a great point. Totally agree. And Sam made a good point here, too. He said, you know, Heupel really has only had two recruiting classes uh, that he's been able to just work on the whole time, and that's right. Uh, I mean, here's the deal. One of the best athletes on the team uh, is currently standing on the sideline redshirting this year, Shandavian Bradley. Yep. Uh, you know, you're going to have – Bradley, James Pierce Jr., and Joshua Josephs coming off the edges next year. Have fun with that, quarterbacks in the SEC. Um, I mean, it's this next year will really, honestly, as far as like the grand scope of the team, will be the first year that we really see all Hypel staff's recruited players. Yeah, there will be a couple guys, you know, that'll that'll still be there from leftover from previous coaching, uh, well, Pruitt era. Um, but for the most part, the vast majority of the team 
whether that's through transfers or just recruits from high school. It's this next year will really be the first glimpse we have of the talent that Hypel has recruited in. And, and, and to add to those three guys you just mentioned, incoming five-star defensive end Jordan Ross, who in the most recent recruiting rankings just got moved to number one in the country at edge. So yep. you got those three guys coming off the edge plus the top edge high school player in America. And you know what that I think is a huge deal that we didn't mention this when we were talking about guys who didn't go through senior day, Bryson Eason returning next season. Yeah. Bryson had a coming out party this year. This was by far easily his best season he's had on Rocky top and he's coming back and he's going to be one of the primary leaders on that defensive line next year. Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Justin Henley said, no realistic fans calling for Heupel's head. I wouldn't be shocked with changes on the defensive staff, especially defensive quarter and defensive backs. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting. I agree to see what William Martinez's contract runs out this year, and there's been a lot of talk that he may retire. That's that's the only change you might see. I agree with Rustin. I don't, I don't see a coordinator change happening. Um, I'll be surprised if that happens. Um, Con- Martinez contract is up, I believe. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see a different defensive backs coach next season, but I, I don't think you're going to see a coordinator change. Stone. And the biggest, and the biggest reason they think Willie's going to retire is last year, two years ago, there were six assistant coaches who were all up for renewal. They renewed everybody, but Willie Martinez. So he chose for his contract to just run out, which typically means he's probably done. Uh, Zach said, I I heard Cooper didn't go to the the draft because he was hurt. Uh, He said, I know it sounds stupid. Well, I think Cooper didn't go to the draft because of his measurables. Yeah. He's he's not a large offensive lineman, which is what the NFL is looking for. Um, You know, that was one reason why he wasn't more highly ranked coming out of high school is because of his size. Now, what's we we're talking about measurables and stat sheet earlier. The thing about Cooper is what he brings to the team. I mean, first of all, he's a really good offensive lineman, no doubt about it. Like Cole Kublik, when he joined us, he, he said Cooper was the second best center in the SEC behind the dude at uh, uh, Georgia. And so, I mean, that's that's an unbiased third party saying, yeah, he's the second best center in the league. Um, but it's his size that has kind of, you know, been what people have hesitated on. But the thing that he brings, not only is he just a phenomenal offensive lineman, it's, it's how he's organizing and orchestrating the offense. I mean, the guy is just making every blocking call for the offensive line, every play. I mean, he, he's, he's vitally important. And he, that is a, we, we don't even know how big of a deal it is that he's coming back next year. Um, we, and we all know it's got to be huge. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous deal. But even that doesn't fully appreciate just how big of a deal it is for the offense. Um, I mean, Glenn Ellerby was talking about it when he came back after the South Carolina game saying, we totally trust him. Like, we can tell him, hey, go make the call and he'll do it. Like, the blocking scheme, it's it's a huge deal. And to, and to take that pressure off of Nico in Nico's first full year, that Nico's not having to make the blocking calls, that Cooper's doing it for him, that's a big deal. Uh, let's see. Eric said these seniors left it better than they found it. No doubt, brother. I totally agree. <laughs> you can be the most cynical Vol fan in the world, and you can't disagree with that statement. Absolutely. 
You are you are absolutely right, Eric. Well said. Um, uh, let's see. Sam said, Brew's a great position receiver, uh, uh, probably possession receiver, um, but we didn't have a deep threat this year. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Ramel became a deep threat, and he was well, earlier in the year, he just was dropping the ball. Well, no, we um, got a scheme issue there. We did have a deep threat. His name's Squirrel White but he didn't get to be a deep threat because the guy who was supposed to be the possession receiver left field and he had to become the possession receiver. So, yeah. you know, we, we that, lost our deep threat when we lost brew. But that problem for sure. I mean, you're, you're an injury away from starting a walk on at wide receiver. You're starting a walk on a defensive back <laughs> yesterday. It's just, it, there's, there's still to, Y'all's point earlier, and still depth problems with the program that um, you're, I think, going to see a better roster next year, top to bottom, than you saw this year. Um, apparently, when I was complimenting our fan base, <laughs> some comments came through that were pretty funny. Audrey said, "Just say it. We're psychotic about the false." <laughs> So, hey, I, oh. I get it. I get it. hundred <laughs> percent. So while, so while you've got Audrey up on the screen there, I want to read you something she sent us tonight. So read several weeks ago, Audrey got so frustrated with the officials that she went back and charted all the penalties to that point for the year. And she's been keeping a running tally every week. It was really impressive actually. <laughs> oh, oh, just wait. So it's done. She's now completed the season. She sent it to us tonight. And Audrey, you need to tweet this and you need to tag Greg Sankey and SEC officiating because this is just unbelievably biased. So this year, regular season penalties, Tennessee had 87 penalties called on it. Tennessee's opponents had 41. Wow. Okay. Lot pre-snap penalties, which this is somewhat on us. 23 on our opponents, 42 on Tennessee. So 42 pre-snap penalties. But this is the glaring one. Live ball penalties. Tennessee, 45. Our opponents, 18. 18 live ball penalties in 12 games. I was going to say, yeah, one and a half a game. Yeah. Not good at math, but I think that checks out. <laughs> yeah. Tennessee had both live ball and pre-snap penalties in every single game, but Tennessee's opponents in five games had no pre-snap penalties and in five games had no live ball penalties. Wow. And in two of their games this year, their opponent, their opponent had zero penalties. Golly, boom. That's literally yeah. impossible. Like that, that I don't, is impossible. I, mean, I, I don't know what you. It's this whole defense structurally is predicated on getting pressure on the quarterback, and when you're uh, Tyler Barron, wherever he is right now, is being held. Um, yes. uh, you know, like I don't. It's it's unreal what we saw <laughs> this year, and I just think uh, something's got to be different next year for sure. But well done, Audrey. That's incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> that is next level research. That's what I'm talking about, Audrey. Mm-hmm. And I like uh, I like Reed's co- uh, tip of the hat to Tyler Barron there. Wherever you are right now, Tyler, you're being held somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I like that. 
Uh, Zach said, we're crazy, but crazy in a good way. <laughs> um, Carl I said, get that everybody wants to go it. undefeated every year. I do too. I would like to never lose a game ever again. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> uh, JL said, we're coming up. Absolutely, we are. Absolutely. Nick, uh, Zach said, Nico's going to take us to the top and finally knock that visor off Kirby's head. <laughs> Uh, let's see. There was 12 seconds uh, two weeks ago. I thought Tennessee was going to get there. <laughs> Most glorious 12 <laughs> seconds in the history of the time of Earth. <laughs> I ran up about 10 rows of bleachers and was high fiving people I didn't know, and, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then I cried. All right, so funny, funny, quick story about that. So I got a good buddy who's a Georgia fan, and he is. Uh, I I literally told him I was like, so you're like Michael Scott uh, because he's not superstitious but he is a little stitious <laughs> he uh he will not watch he's a huge georgia fan but he will not watch a georgia game live won't do it um he thinks it's bad luck for his team and so he will follow along on twitter and then after the game he'll go back and watch the whole game on replay and uh last week or during the georgia game he was at his family's house his family had gotten together uh, half of his family for thanksgiving and so they're all sitting there and all his family's Georgia fans too. Well, they want to watch the game. And he's like, okay, I, I don't need to, but okay, I will. And so he's sitting there watching it. First play, 75 yard touchdown. And he goes, I'm out. And he walks out. The room. <laughs> <laughs> and he left. It cracked me up. It was really funny. It did. It did. We thought there was some kneeling magic there for a little bit. Whole 12 seconds of it. It was awesome. Uh, let's see here. Rob, if you can hang on just for a minute. Uh, Rob Murphy just commented on something. So Rob's a former Tennessee volunteer basketball player. He's gone. Uh, he, I think he left. He said he's got to go. He said, y'all are legends. You're a legend, Rob. Uh, Rob's a good guy. He works with Rustin. Rustin works with Rob. Um, Rob's the, the founder of the company. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember Rob. Oh, cool. Awesome. That's awesome. Rob's one of the only guys who ever played for both Conzo Martin and Bruce Pearl. And so we had to, got, got to have a fun interview with him at the beginning of season last year. Y'all can go back and find that. Disparate personalities. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but Rob asked, have we talked Dylan Sampson yet? Because the rumor mills are circulating and that y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but the general consensus we came to was Jalen Wright's probably going to the NFL. Jabari small went through senior day activity. So he is probably transferring to another place to be the feature back for his last season, which means that Dylan Sampson is going to be the feature back at Tennessee next year. And he knows that. And he's doing exactly what Jalen Wright did last year, making it seem like he might be leaving just to get that NIL money a little bit higher, um, work in the system. And, Dylan knows he will be the feature back next year, so he's not going yeah. anywhere. So it's college kids again. Um, so un unpredictable. Uh, if Dylan doesn't want to be the featured back in this offense next year and chooses to go somewhere else, then you didn't want him to be the featured back in this offense next year because that's what he's going to be right now from where I'm sitting. And and Dylan needs to find a new advisor. Right. Yeah, for real. 
I mean, you think about that. Rustin, you made this point too. And somebody mentioned in the comments, they mentioned the guy from Virginia, the speedy kid from Virginia. That's Peyton Lewis, uh, who is a Vol signee. Um, I mean, the running back room is going to be just fine next year. Yeah. yeah, we lose Jalen Wright, who is an incredible running back. We lose Jabari Small, who is a fantastic, incredible running back for four years at Tennessee. Um, but we'll have Dylan Sampson, Cam Selden, Khalifa Keith, and Peyton Lewis. Deshaun Bishop. Uh, and Deshaun Bishop. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. Deshaun Bishop was one of the most entertaining people of the freshman class this year until he got hurt. Um, so, I mean, they're going to be just fine in the running back room. They will be just fine. Not worried about that position next year, personally. Totally agree. Totally agree. And really strong this year as well. You know, we can talk about the things that didn't go well for Tennessee. Running back room, it was, it was not one of those. that really met or exceeded everybody's expectations for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Jared asked, do y'all think any freshmen coming in next year will make an impact? I'll let y'all go first. And then if y'all don't mention the people I'm thinking of, then, you know, I'll chime in. I would, I would just go with Jordan Ross at defensive end and, uh, Mike Matthews at wide receiver. I don't think we'll see any other freshmen. Well, yeah, I don't think we'll see any other freshmen get playing time. You, you don't want to be in a, a spot as a program where you're like, these freshmen have to come in and play. You know, that's right. not Amen. a recipe for success in the SEC. And I think Tennessee's finally getting to that spot. But, yeah, Matthews, I hope we see him out there. Um, and then Ross, if, if he's – you can even use him situationally if you want to because there's so much talent at that position. Um, where you bring him in fresh, clear passing downs, things like that. So, I, yeah, I, I think – you know that Rustin for me and that, I want to see Matthews for sure. And that wide receiver room does need some help as well, as well. So that's, that's a guy you want to see out there. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree that that wide receiver room has some dudes in it, but they haven't stepped up to be the dude, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, I mean, how, how sad is this that in the Georgia game, I almost picked Chaz Nimrod as my player of the game solely because he caught the ball when it was thrown to him. I mean, like, that's not How the many, position. We need to get Audrey to go back and, and chart <laughs> all the yards that were left on the field this year. Because all the drops. It's probably uh, a thousand. Like, yeah. I don't, yeah. really, like, it's it has to be a high number, honestly. And not, not like, I, I like the guys Tennessee has at receiver. I don't know what happened. Um because I like those guys. Uh, I want to see them out there. I just, I, I, there's so many yards that Tennessee left on the field with drops that hit them right in the hands. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes on really critical downs, like third down and stuff like that. And you, and now you're, you're off the field when it could have been a first down. Um, totally agree. Uh, so I was going to say Mike Matthews as well. And Jordan Ross, the one outlier who might uh, be able to make a difference in the special teams game, especially is Boo Carter. Uh, you know, if they Good put name. Boo, if they put him back there as a as a punt returner, which I think probably we're actually going to see either Squirrel White or Cam Selden returning punts next year. We know Cam Selden's going to be on the kickoff return team. Uh, I would probably almost guarantee you'll see Boo Carter as the other return man back there with Cam Selden. Because uh, when the dude gets the ball in his hands, he is electric with the ball in his hands. Uh, he is going to be start, you know, starting on the defensive side of the ball for Tennessee. I don't know if he'll bust into the secondary to start the season. 
Um, but it would not shock me to see him on special teams for sure. Okay, scroll down the comments. Audrey with the response of the night. <laughs> she said, I probably already have that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and Carl said he mentioned Boo Carter as well. Yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. A good, that's a good one. That's a, that's somebody I could definitely see a path towards significant playing time, for sure. Yeah. Although I will say this, if he gets significant playing time at safety, that's also that's a bit problem. of a... That, that's a problem. Yeah. Like, and we don't, I don't care how good you are. Unless you're Eric Berry. Right. We don't, we don't, we don't want you started as a true freshman in the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Justin said he saw 87 holds on Florida and Alabama's <laughs> offensive line alone. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, JL said SEC protects their top teams. Um, Before, about the, the interception against Georgia. <laughs> Before you wrap up, Reed wanted to talk about Dave Bartu and the college football matrix. Yeah, uh, y'all, yeah. Yeah, y- y'all tweeted that uh, his tweet That's talking right. about uh, coach effects. So, Dave, back in my back in the day when I was a young lad and had a radio show, had Dave on weekly to talk college football, and he maybe more than anybody else, which is the biggest compliment that I think I can give somebody, changed the way I look at college football. Um, just purely in terms of the greatest predictor of success is talent. Um, and that's why you see Georgia dominating everybody <laughs> right now. Uh, they're head and shoulders above their SEC East, especially Pierce, um, in, in the talent level. But he tweeted that Tennessee was one of the few teams this year that had a zero coach effect, meaning they basically beat the teams they were supposed to beat, and they lost the teams they were supposed to lose to. Um, and two and teams... That- and that's two teams also by, on that list were Alabama and, 12, and Georgia. Yeah. There's 12 teams on the list, and that's also somewhat impacted by recruiting rankings, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, he, 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 gives in, he has his own kind of talent metric thing um, and then uh, gives points for home and away games and crowds and um, to determine – which team should win basically without watching any football. Um, and it's amazing how accurate he is actually when Tennessee beat South Carolina in, uh, what year was that? 2013, the Marquez North Connor Shaw. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called that the year before on my show. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, when he said, Butch Jones is that a positive coach effect. They're probably going to beat South Carolina at home this year. And sure enough, uh, they did. So that, that's a guy that I, I kind of follow at CFB Matrix on on Twitter and uh, pointing out that, yeah, Tennessee is one of those teams this year, one of the few, like you said, 12, that uh, they beat the teams they were supposed to beat and lost the ones they were supposed to lose to. But so, let's burn it down. Which which is interesting <laughs> because that means, that means he predicted we would lose to Florida. Yeah. Uh, I, it, I wonder – so – yeah, Tennessee, if you look at the uh, 247 composite talent rankings, which is not what he goes by. He has his own one, and Tennessee's behind Florida. Yeah. And they're playing on the road at Florida. So that makes sense that Tennessee would lose that game, right? Um, and that one hurts, obviously, because Florida's not bowl eligible. And on my – I mean, this is how old I am. This is a paper note of SEC East <laughs> wins over the last three years. Uh, Florida has eight. Over the last three years, Tennessee is two of those, which hurts. 
Um, but even if you watch that Florida State game yesterday, there's no doubt that Florida has a lot of talent on that roster, and they're just not being maximized. Um, but that didn't surprise me to see that tweet from Dave. Just as I think about Tennessee's season, you lost to three top ten teams. You lost to a team you can never beat somehow uh, that has a lot of talent on the road. Uh, you beat a very talented Texas A&M team here. Uh, and you, you beat Kentucky like you should. You beat South Carolina like you should. Makes sense Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. For, for those who are curious, the 12 teams that were exactly what they were predicted to be. Um, so, you know, the teams that had what he calls a zero um that so it's exactly what they're recruiting versus their schedule projected utah maryland which is interesting Hmm. alabama texas and georgia iowa which the fact that his analytics could predict what iowa would do scoring five points a game pretty (laughs) wild um ohio state the vols west virginia boston college Arizona State and Oklahoma State. So, Reed, you are the actually you and Houston were the people who introduced me to uh, Bartu um, because I heard him on y'all's show, and it was crazy, crazy how accurate he was on stuff. And and like Reed said, it's all numbers based, and it is it's absolutely fascinating uh, how he comes up with this stuff, and it's all just not an algorithm, but his, his, his formulas and, and his stuff. And it is crazy how accurate it is. Um, you know, I heard him on y'all show first, then I heard him on the Swain event. And what was really interesting was back in 2016, I think it was 2016, maybe before that, when Texas A&M hired Jimbo Fisher. So he was on the Swain event and on his show, he said, Jimbo Fisher is the most overrated coach in America and here's why. And he ran down a list of numbers as to why this was not going to work out at Texas A&M. And look where we are now. He said he would have, I remember that he said he would have about the same record as Kevin Sumlin. Yep. And he did have about the same record as Kevin Sumlin. He actually had a a worse record than Kevin Sumlin. Yep. It was almost identical. It was just slightly uh, worse. I've (laughs) actually met, I met Dave at uh in portland with tennessee played oregon um so in person and then i saw him at a sec media days uh a few years later so uh cool dude cool dude and it's it's absolutely fascinating what he's able to do um and, and the numbers he's able to run it's it's incredible um so i'm glad you brought that up well reed you are the man uh we are so fortunate that you've joined us. Um, you're actually part of our family now. Um, so, you know, just, you can message and me. And the kids Christmas, Christmas list over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the skinniest Santa Claus they ever saw. <laughs> Uncle Reed. <laughs> uh, Audrey asked, what is Dave's last name? It's Bartu, B-A-R-T-O-O. Uh, he is at CFB Matrix, College Fall Matrix on Twitter. And he, it's fascinating. The mad scientist. That's a great description. Yes, absolutely. Um, but Reed, thank you so much, man. We seriously do appreciate it. Uh, I know we, you know, I know you know this, but you are always welcome on this show, man. Anytime you want to come on this show, uh, Carl giving you a round of applause too. Uh, it is a, a 
joy for us to have you on here. And I'm so sorry that we kept you this late tonight. Uh, uh, Reed, uh, he, we he's didn't even up. talk about Texas A&M. I talked a lot. I mean, it's, it's mostly my fault. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I, I, we, uh, we just, we love having you on here, man. That green wave said great show guys. We appreciate that. I um, do have one more question for Reed. Okay. Did your agent leverage a good option to avoid the A&M job? Like, did you get a better deal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I got to sit here on this couch and talk to you guys for sure. It was a lot better job than uh, going down there and dealing with those crazy people. You know, the Volbros are dishing out Texas A&M size money here. <laughs> if I have to listen to uh, Midnight Yell or whatever it is uh, yeah. ever, then I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'd have to pay you to not go there to listen to that. <laughs> now, I will take $76 million to not coach there. Yes. Amen. Also, or $7.6 million. <laughs> any, any decimal, move it however you want. <laughs> yeah, I would do $0.76 million. Off. <laughs> That's fine. I'll take it. Uh, well, Reed, seriously, thank you so much, man. We really, really do appreciate you. Uh, everybody, uh, be looking for fo- this is last year's, not this year's, but be looking for football time in Tennessee magazine next spring. Uh, yeah. usually around May is when it hits new stands near you. Uh, Reed, thank you again, man. We really do appreciate it. Enjoy the guys as always. Jerron Mayman oh. on Thursday. Oh, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Uh, just so, oh. That's exactly right. So another thing, um, on the volbros.com at our shop this week only, we're doing literally the best sale we have ever done. Uh, it's 15% off. All you got to do is use code VOLS15. And let me make sure that that is correct. Otherwise, I may have just told people the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, yes, it is VOLS15. <laughs> um, so... I would strongly encourage everybody to go check out uh, thevolbros.com and then click on shop in the top right corner. Uh, there's some beautiful merchandise on there. We have battered ball syndrome survivor shirts, uh, basketball season coming up with go big orange. Uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff on that. Hanging with the bros, t- you know, hoodie, all, all kinds of good designs. You can get them on anything. Uh, there's everything school designs, which is good. Vols 15. It's literally the biggest discount we've ever offered because on some products, if we go anymore, we actually lose money. So uh, we uh, Vols 15. That's this week all the way through Thursday. So the end of November. So Thursday. And just like Rustin said, Thursday night, Jerron Maiman is joining us live on the air because Wednesday night, Tennessee men's basketball plays at North Carolina in the Dean Dome. And so that'll be a huge game. It'll be fun to hear Jerron's, uh, you know, reaction to that and his thoughts on that and their season. Um, so we hope we hope you join us. Uh, Carl said Christmas goodies on that website. That's exactly right. Greenwave says snag that merch. Amen, brother. <laughs> well, Reed, you're the man. Uh, we hope everybody has a great, great evening. Uh, we do have a winner for the College Football Pick'em Challenge. Uh, we will, I will release a video tomorrow night uh, that tells who that winner was. So everybody be looking for that. Uh, so we hope everybody has a great, great evening. And uh, you know what? Since we're now transitioning to basketball season, I'm going to end the show with our basketball outro and not the football one. Bittersweet, bittersweet. So I uh, hope everybody has a great evening.